customs. My Waco dialect is going to sound so much more boring now after hearing that. That was the awake part of the sermon. You may feel free to go to sleep now and hear my low tones of the Waco accent. What an honor to stand before great hearts and great minds today of the next generation of ministers and leaders in the local church. What a joy to stand in front of those who are also for the gospel. Dr. Hardenberry was my roommate at Baylor. I have stories. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're all very boring and good stories. No juicy gossip for TMZ for TV on him. He was back then as he is today, a very wise, kind, godly man. And Dr. Still has been a long time beloved friend. Although I am rethinking a little bit the solidity of our friendships as you scheduled me to speak in chapel the week after the incomparable Beth Moore, so thank you for that. It's really easy to bring long thinking into the Christian life. That's why I'm glad you're here true. To, to grow in spiritual formation, to grow in the biblical knowledge. And if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus, there are going to be moments in life that they have not been already for you. There will be moments in the future where God has to take a wrecking ball to our thinking and cause us to rethink things, to change our old way of thinking. That's what's happening in this passage that we heard beautifully read just in from Acts chapter 11. God had to change the mind of, of Peter for him to even enter the house of, of Cornelius. It would have been certainly um, against the thinking of Peter, his upbringing, to even walk into a Gentile home, much less to, to eat with Cornelius and his family. Now, Jesus had clearly told the apostles, the disciples, to go into all the world to preach all the gospel to all people, but in their old way of thinking, the disciples understood that to be. Jesus told us to go into all the world and to preach to all the Jews who were scattered around the world. But the thought of taking the gospel, this good news, to the Gentiles, and then the Gentiles believing in Christ unto salvation must have been, in, in the words of the Prince's Bride, just inconceivable. There's no way that this can happen without them first becoming religious Jews. And now the inconceivable has happened. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles just as the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the Christian Jews at Pentecost. So now Peter has to go to Jerusalem and to the Jewish Christians because they're griping because he, verse 3, went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Gasp! Chapter 11 is the retelling of the story of what happened in chapter 10. I would just guess today that sometimes when Scripture repeats itself, it's a good thing to take notice. This narrative here shows how God is changing the thinking of Christians on a matter that was essential for the gospel. Overarching theme of chapter 11. To accomplish his sovereign purpose of salvation, God had to change the wrong thinking in his people. The Jews were requiring Gentiles to adopt, of course, Jewish uh, rituals to be saved, which was wrong thinking for the Jews and really even a false gospel for the Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write this. And again, I think written twice, really, in chapter 10 and chapter 11, or even telling of, of chapter 10, to remind us that there is a world of difference between traditional thinking and gospel thinking. 
First, we need to understand God's sovereign purpose. I have just three points for you today. But I'm going to kill you on the sub points. I do have a few sub points as well. First point God's sovereign purpose is the salvation of the people from every nation. In Revelation chapter 5, all of heaven falls down in worship as they go to their knees and they sing, Worthy are you, speaking and singing to Christ, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God's purpose is to glorify himself for the salvation of many people from every nation through Jesus. This is acknowledged also in this passage in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Later on in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would write, this is the mystery of Christ. That the Gentiles are heirs and fellow members of the Lord. For 2,000 years, the, the Jews have been God's chosen people. But now, all the nations are equal standing before God through the cross of Christ. All who come in faith, all who repent, can become part of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. This is revolutionary. You see, God's salvation is his mission. God's salvation of all is his doing, but when God uses us, this is Maybe the most miraculous thing in my mind, God uses us in this process. A major theme of Acts chapter 11 is God taking the initiative. God taking the initiative to save the Gentiles. Verse 5, God gave Peter the vision of that sheep being lowered. Verse 7, God gave the command to eat. Verse 11, God orchestrated these Gentile messengers arriving from Cornelius to, to Peter. Verse 12, God told Peter to go with him without hesitation. Verse 13, it was God who sent his angel to Cornelius with instructions on how to find Peter. Verse 15, it was God who sovereignly saved the Gentiles and sent the Holy Spirit on them. I love this. Even before the sermon was finished, God doesn't need my sermon. That's humbling. If you've heard some of my sermons, it's helpful as well. That God does not need my, my preaching. Verse 18, God granted the Gentile repentance that leads to life. In other words, salvation belongs to the Lord. But at the same time, God uses a weak human, a denier and Peter, to further the gospel. Verse 14, the angel didn't preach the gospel to Cornelius. Peter did. Some wrongly think that since salvation depends on God's sovereignty, that we don't have to do anything. That is simply unbiblical. God sovereignly takes the initiative that he accomplishes his mission through his people obediently sharing the gospel. <laughs> Listen, friends and family, if we're not for the gospel of all the nations, then we're not involved in God's purpose. Because the gospel for all nations isn't an optional aim of the church. Mission is what God is doing. So if global missions is the heart of God's purpose, then apathy for global missions is inexcusable. Not all are called in this place to, to go to the nations on a lifelong assignment, but all of us in this place should be interested and pray and educate ourselves and go on short-term missions and, not or, and give. We see this passage, I think, some implications for our churches today. The local church should be racially and culturally diverse. 
If, if God's purpose is to save people from every ethnicity, every people group, then we're not fulfilling God's purpose that our churches are not loving and ministering and connecting to people from every ethnicity. We've got to be intentional about this. I don't think our flesh naturally drifts toward immigration. I think our flesh naturally drifts toward separation. We make a big deal of it in about 33 flags that surround the perimeter of our worship center. Those 33 flags represent 33 different nationalities within the membership of, of Highland. We celebrate that. Probably just like your churches, you're seeing, I pray, a growing diversity within your church. And I would say Highland, maybe like a lot of churches in Waco, we've come a long ways, but we have a very long ways to still go. Point two. It's easy to bring wrong thinking into the Christian life. Here are three ways that the critics of Peter were thinking wrongly. Perhaps we might find ourselves in this wrong thinking. Wrong thinking is that human traditions are more important than biblical truths. Did you catch that? A household of Gentiles, an entire household of Gentiles were saying, but rather rejoicing in this, the critics grumbled that Peter ate with them. These Christian Jews were more focused on Peter violating the kosher laws and on a Gentile salvation. Before you roll your eyes at these grumbling Jews in Jerusalem, we can do the same thing. How often we elevate certain traditions or ways that we've always done things within the church above what God wants to do. And here's what I'm thinking. The church should consist of people just like me. We're all prone to think the church is for folks just like us and, and not those who are different than us, but God is most glorified when a local church made of people who would never get together otherwise are there together because of the saving grace of Jesus. The church is God's adopted family made up of children from every conceivable background to the praise of his glorious grace. We're all thinking God has to do things my way. These Christian Jews probably would have said, well, certainly God can save Gentiles. They just need to behave and act like Jews first. But for God to save them just as they are, that did not fit their way of, of thinking. The, the test of our wrong thinking is God's word, because God's word always confronts our wrong thinking. So if your thoughts do not match the thoughts of God, it would be a good thing for your thoughts to change. The stubborn Jews change. That's a really good news for every stubborn person in this chapter today. Verse 18, the Jews changed their minds. Third thing I have for you today. God changes our wrong thinking so that we can join him in his work. It's the purpose for which God will change your thinking so that we can join him in his work. What was Peter's first response? Do you remember hearing that in a beautiful dialect, beautiful accent earlier? Verse 8, by no means, Lord. So God has interrupted Peter's prayer life and has said, this is the challenge. Here's what I would like for you to do. I want you to join me in this work of taking all the gospel to all the people around all the world. And, and then Peter says, by no means, Lord. How crazy is that? It's really difficult to say no, Lord, in the same sentence. Just like saying no to gravity or no to the sunrise. And if Peter had stayed with that protest, then God would not have used him to Take the gospel to Cornelius. If we want God to use us in his great purposes, 
we must let him change us. How? Four things from the text. I told you I was going to kill you in some ways. Four things from the text. God changes us as we walk with him. I, I don't want to over-preach this. I do not want to under-preach this. But verse 4, Peter was praying when God stepped in. Peter was praying that the Lord would, would give him a life-changing, the Lord, the Lord stepped in and give him this life-changing vision. What if Peter had skipped his prayer time that day? Or what if Peter had just glossed over that spiritual discipline? He would have missed what God wanted him to do. God will not change your thinking if you don't spend time with him. God will not call us into his mission if we rarely spend time with the Father. Second thing, God changes us by putting us in uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable circumstances. Some of you who will be serving as a as pastor in the coming years, probably statistically speaking, at a small church, you'll be put in some very uncomfortable situations. God's agenda sovereignly stepped into Peter's prayer time, and God's agenda shocked Peter. We see that, that affirmation reply again, verse 8, by no means, Lord. See, this is where the Lord is coming in this wrecking ball to really change Peter's old way of, of thinking. If we're comfortable, we don't think we need any change. But when God takes us to an uncomfortable place, we begin to realize that our old way of thinking just won't do. It can be uncomfortable to consider that God can save whoever God wants to save. It can be uncomfortable at times to think who God can bring into his family. You see, all who repent and believe can come. Any religious legalist can repent and come to Jesus. Any loudmouth gossip in your church can repent and come to Jesus. Any member of the Taliban can repent and come to Jesus. Any vile abuser can repent and come to Jesus. Any adulterer or homosexual can repent and come to Jesus. Any self-righteous Baptist preacher can repent and come to Jesus. Any self-sufficient American can repent and come to Jesus. Any racist in the Proud Boys can repent and come to Jesus. Any arrogant professor can repent and come to Jesus. Any prostitute, any, any human trafficker, any pew-sitting grandma can repent and come to Jesus. All can come. He does not cast out a repentant heart. God forgive us that we have pre-selected who can enter into his family. God forgive us that we have pre-selected who can repent and be forgiven and be adopted by this great God. Third way God changes our mind, he changes us through his word. Peter wins over his critics by relating in orderly fashion how God had worked. Really the retelling of what we had read in, in, in chapter 10. You know, but that lasting change happens in our lives when our thinking begins to line up with the power and the plumb line of Scripture. If Peter's experience had contradicted Scripture, it would not have been from God. But we know, even today, that the Old Testament speaks sometimes just in, 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 uh, in pictures of the Gentiles sharing in God's salvation. Peter had missed that, but, verse 16, he remembered the word of the Lord. Change in thinking comes through God's word. My last thing for the day. 
God changes us so that we can be used by him in greater ways to fulfill his sovereign purpose in the nations. A little history, chapter 11 happens somewhere around seven years after Pentecost. In those seven years, basically, the, the gospel was reserved for, for the Jews. Now, now, Philip saw some Samaritans, of course, saw the Ethiopian uh, being saved with the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem ministering to Jews in those years after Pentecost. So God had to use persecution. Verse 19, we did not get there today, but verse 19, God uses persecution to get the gospel to the Gentiles all around the world. Here's some sad news. Sadly, the Jerusalem church really never caught on to that. They were so stuck in their ways, perhaps the whole thinking, that even after this experience of chapter 11, the Jerusalem church, the significance of the Jerusalem church really decreased. The rest of Acts, as you well know, Bible students, is the sending out of the gospel to all the Gentiles, but it really was without the Jerusalem church. The lesson for us is God's going to do somebody. And if we do not respond to the opportunities that God has given us, he will set us aside and will use somebody else. A prayer that I pray in tears is God, you're going to use somebody in this city to share the gospel with you, not pass me by. Perhaps it's a, it's a self-centered prayer for for this prayer that I pray for my church. Now, if you're going to use a church in the city to demonstrate the grace of God to others, please don't pass us by. The Jerusalem church, it seems to me, got passed by. God's purpose is to be glorified. His people reach all people with the good news of His saving grace. So if your thinking is not in line with the sovereign purposes of God, I pray that this message today would send a wrecking ball to your thinking that we might line up with God's purposes for all people, for all nations. Praise again with His glorious grace. Try your hand back hard with please. Father, what a humbling opportunity to be here. I thank you for these sisters and these brothers. I thank you for the daughters of God, the sons of God been in the Word of God with me today, Lord. I thank you for this great joy. What a unique joy to be with the true people today, Lord. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for all the callings in this room. I thank you for all the possibility and all the potential in this room. I thank you for the gospel bearers in this room, the gospel tellers. God, I pray that this semester will be rich, not just in information, but in transformation of heart and thinking. We are amazed at your purposes. Perhaps even more amazed that you would call us into them. Through Christ we pray. And now we sing.